Welcome to the Real Wealth Podcast channel by Stuart Group. This is Nick Stewart, Financial Advisor and CEO at Stuart Group. To get updates on our latest podcast episodes, hit the follow button on our SoundCloud or Apple Podcasts. You can find past episodes of this show and more information online at www.stuartgroup.co.nz. COVID-19 has forced organizations and individuals to embrace new practices such as social distancing, hand washing, sanitizing, and remote working. Governments are reconsidering ways to ensure that their countries are stable by developing and enforcing new economic plans. And while the world is focused on health and economic threats posed by COVID-19, cyber criminals around the world undoubtedly are capitalizing on this crisis. In this podcast are some of our thoughts on the impact of COVID-19 on cybersecurity. For today's podcast, I have a very special guest, Martin Levy, who has joined me via Zoom. Martin owns and leads Acurix, a specialist technology infrastructure owner and managed services provider of telecommunications and security solutions to medium in, medium enterprises across New Zealand. Martin is also a professional non-executive director and chartered member of the Institute of Directors. Earlier in his career, Martin led strategy for two degrees, having begun his working life as a banking and finance lawyer in Auckland and then Moscow. Welcome to the show, Martin. How are you keeping? Very good, thank you, Nick. Excellent. Hey, well, um, it's a shame we're not catching up in person in Auckland or in sunny Hawke's Bay, but Zoom it shall be. Hey, so thanks for joining us. And look, I just had um, a number of things that we, that have been coming up on both our social media platforms, questions that are coming into radio shows, comments on our weekend column in the Hawke's Bay today. So what I've done, I've boiled some of those down today to cover some of these cybersecurity threats and just this remote learning and working. And I could think of no one better than yourself to have a chat about these issues. So during the last six weeks, how have you found the experience and what's it been like in your household, in your bubble? Well, for the last six weeks, Nick, we've been comfortably working from home, um, helping our customers with their remote working and ensuring their systems are up and secure and that they can get access to them. Um, and of course, we're um, my wife and I are two working parents, two working professionals with three kids. So there's been a little bit of homeschooling. Yeah, that's not been the focus for them. We've sort of sought to ensure that they that this is a special time for them with good memories. Um, and we've enjoyed the bike rides and neighbourhood walks uh, in the first part of lockdown, and then knuckled down with a bit of education in the second part. But uh, yeah, pretty full on in, in our place, that's for sure. Hey, and in terms of on a on a personal mental wellness front you know what have you been doing with your time what have you been reading watching how have you you know because when you're working from home you can't escape your office because your office is your home so what have you been you know reading or watching for that kind of relief that mental break yeah so aside from a lot of exercising um we've also i'm reading i'm in two books at the moment one is yuval noah hariri's homo deus which which comes after his sapiens book and that's um a brief history of tomorrow it's called and it's pretty current uh, and that it sort of helps with thinking and inputs into considering what a post-COVID world might look like. So that's kind of philosophical in that area. And also reading um, the most recent book by a guy called Jocko Willink called Leadership Strategy and Tactics um, Field Manual. And this is an easy read, but it's an important read that sort of that summarizes um, with stories or parables from the author's military career 
all of the leadership lessons that he's gathered and synthesized during and post his time as a Navy SEAL, up to his last deployment in Iraq as commander of um, SEAL Team 3, Task Unit Bruiser. And this is the team that had quite a significant impact on the Battle of Ramadi, which he often references in his lessons. And his leadership lessons from the military are transferable into business and home life and personal improvement. So I've found that really useful. And it's, I keep that by my bed and refer to it quite a bit, actually. And he's also got an excellent podcast series that I listen to when I run uh, called Jocko Podcast. And that's just brilliant from a strategy and tactics perspective, leadership perspective, military stories. Uh, some of this podcast run into two to three hours long, so you break them up, obviously. I'm not running for that period of time. Uh, and uh, yes, really good, really good. Fabulous. A little bit of Netflix. Yes, indeed. So so that's the personal front. So what about on the work front, and what's been your biggest takeout from COVID-19? Well, from a, on the work front, we've been busy even in the lead up to lockdown. So from early February, many of our customers were getting very organized, uh, updating their business continuity planning and remote working capabilities. So up to lockdown and over the last six weeks, our business has been really busy enabling remote working for our customers, enabling the cloud infrastructure, making sure they've got secure remote access, both for their um, networks and their and their video surveillance assets. So for us, it's been, fortunately, it's been business as usual, but at a much higher cadence and urgency. And we've just focused on ensuring that our customers can do what they need to do run their businesses and giving them the best support that we can. In terms of my biggest takeouts or our biggest takeouts from um, the COVID-19 situation to date, for us, biggest takeouts other than making sure you now have global pandemic on your risk risk register, um, at a personal level, my biggest takeaway is people are inherently good and that people can adapt. Um, and there's nothing better than a bit of family time. So we, we in the business, we've got an awesome team that's adaptable and they haven't skipped a beat in moving from working in the office to remote working. And we've been amazed at what our customers can do, have achieved through this period in terms of changing their businesses or changing their engagement methods with their customers and moving digital. Some key business takeaways for me is for every business, ensure that you've got financial headroom for difficult unforecast situations, uh, to be prepared to make rapid changes to your go-to-market strategy in response to changing landscapes. I mean, people have frequent strategic reviews of their businesses. Those probably need to happen more frequently. And if things start moving underneath you, you need to increase the cadence of your strategic reviews and act on it. Uh, Clearly, digital first is important. Cloud first, both for your infrastructure, your applications, and your voice communications. Um, There's no point having a voice in the office. You should have your POBX on your phone. You should have have a cloud voice system that you can use so your DDI comes with you everywhere. Um, Businesses need to be agile and flexible with how they work. So previously, you might have insisted everybody has to work in the office. Now, even post-COVID, businesses probably accept that people want to have more flexible working and or work from home one or more days a week. Uh, so, you know, this, this raises the question, why, why do you need on-site infrastructure, as much on-site infrastructure, uh, if people aren't in the office, when it could be in the cloud? In the cloud, it's more scalable, it's more resilient, potentially even more accessible and more options for secure remote access for it. And that leads you to also how much office space do you need, um, which is really interesting. At the moment, CBD offices for many are just expensive storage units, right? Waiting, holding up, holding some equipment. BCP plans have been rewritten. Some of our customers really prepared, some weren't. And you know, there's that famous Chinese saying, the best time to plant a tree was 20 years ago. The second best time is now. This is the same for any digital transformation strategy. Yes, if you haven't done one, break it down and get on with it. Yeah, well, it's interesting you say that because let's say that we have flare-ups as are being seen in Korea, Singapore, yeah. um, and some of the European countries. 
if this was a little bit like a dead cat bounce on the basis that, look, you know, we come up for some relief and then we drop down again. So therefore, you know, planting the tree today would be really appropriate if we were to have a flare up in the next couple of months. Absolutely. Uh, I believe we could be living in between a sort of level zero or level one and level three over the next 18 months. And um, plus you've got the fact that staff now almost may insist on wanting to work from home or having more flexible working. So all of the digital strategies or all of the implementations work from home learnings from the last six weeks may be applied and carry on over the next 18 to 24 months and forward. Mm. Therefore, you know, get on with it, break it down and get on with it. Um, we were speaking to one company that's not a customer of ours and they had struggled having their um, PABX in the office. They left their PABX in the office. Nobody had their DDIs accessible or usable outside of the business. And they said, oh, we're going to look at that. We'll look at going to cloud if, we, if lockdowns extended beyond four weeks. Um, on the assumption that they'll just go back into the office business as usual. Well, I don't think it will be exactly business as usual. And now's a very good time to get started and move applications and services to the cloud. So Martin, a lot of those key takeouts are all about having the infrastructure, cloud-based, remote remote working. Now, clearly there's going to be some increased security risk with people working remotely, learning remotely. Can you please elaborate on that increased risk? Sure, Nick. So we're seeing impact and increased risk from remote working and learning in three key areas, obviously. Mm. Personal risk, um, personal identification, personal risk, business and enterprise risk, and government risk or infrastructure risk. From a personal perspective, um, people are working from home now, often over insecure Wi-Fi networks and without firewalls, right? They're still accessing their own personal data, but they're also accessing enterprise data or enterprise systems or government systems and government infrastructure. And if they don't have the protection on their computers, aren't using a secure Wi-Fi network, don't have a firewall or VPN, then it's likely that their access to those enterprise or government systems or their personal data is insecure and ripe for compromise. So we're seeing the biggest targets at the moment by cyber criminals are um, from a personal perspective, customer data, personal information, financial information, company intellectual property, company data of their customers, and financial systems and financial exploits. So, you know, people's emails are being attacked. There's malware on websites, crypto locking, phishing attacks, invoice and identity scams, extortion. All of those things we're seeing, and there's a, there's a global increase in attacks on business and infrastructure. And you've got these attacks being perpetrated both by you know individuals, you've got them being perpetrated by organized crime or criminal gangs, and worse, because they're the best funded state actors. So rogue states mm. with daring cyber attacks. And just remember, historically, to steal something or to destroy something, you had to actually be on site, in situ, you had to be physically present. Now, a nation state or a criminal can undertake a cyber attack from anywhere in the world to anywhere in the world. So nation states and their cyber armies or rogue criminal gangs or, or um, highly focused individuals present real risk in terms of intellectual property theft or attacks on a country's infrastructure and all of this remote. So, you know, to ha so what do you do if you're working from home and uh, or remote working um, end users need at least at a minimum endpoint security protection on their laptops and on their mobiles to which protect against um, um, a certain type of attacks that I talked about just before. Um, they need to be on secure or encrypted Wi-Fi to make sure that that radio connection is encrypted. They need at least a basic firewall at home or VPN connectivity to the office and their systems. And then, of course, policies that require multi-factor authentication for every login to any significant system. They should have a password manager so that their passwords are long, as long as they're armed, and that they don't know each password, and they should never use the same password. Then across the enterprise, you know, policies and procedures, audits, training, 
you know, phishing training, regular reminders of, of best practice against cyber attacks. They need a plan and a pathway to improve security across the organization and um, a DRBC plan in the event of a successful cyber attack. And, you know, we've got mandatory reporting possibly coming up in New Zealand for, for cyber attacks. So corporates will be required to um, to tell the public about um, about a cyber attack on their on their business. And you know they have to they have to continuous training. This is a cat and mouse game by cyber criminals and then the cyber security businesses um, coming up with systems and patches to to defeat these criminals. But for every um, idea, there's another idea to get around it. Oh, I was going to say. So you referenced before about the notification of um, to the public, um, either attempted or successful. Are you referring to the revised um, Privacy Act that's currently before Parliament? Um, I'm not sure if it's in the revised Privacy Act, but wherever it sits, um, a number of countries already have have introduced mandatory reporting for significant cyber attacks and uh, theft of information or customer data or public information. So New Zealand hasn't finalised its stance on that. And Martin, perhaps you could also touch on uh, children learning online. You know, kids have all been online for, for a couple of months now. Quite incredible. But with that comes some risk. Elaborate on that, please. Sure. So many kids' um, access to the internet takes place either at home or at school. And when they're at school, they've got the protection of their school network. And in this, in New Zealand, every school has a managed secure network run by a government-owned a government-owned entity called Network for Learning. And they they secure that network and um, prevent kids from accessing the wrong sites and uh, in there while they're at school. Now that they're at home, they're also online more than ever, and often on open and unsecured networks where there's much more increased risk and the likelihood of malicious activity um, and um, whether that's people trying to approach children or children discovering or accessing improper content for kids. And so there's a couple of ways, a couple of things you can do, but Network for Learning have launched an invaluable initiative and made their DNS security available to any home in New Zealand. So every home internet connection can access this. And if you do access it, every time you go to a website, that website address is checked against Network for Learning's DNS servers and lists for known uh, malicious or unsuitable websites. So adult sites, alcohol sites, weapon sites, et cetera, and it blocks access. So this is another level of protection and that website's called switchonsafety.co.nz and there's instructions in there on how to access that. Now the upside when using this is your kids are protected. The downside is that the adults in the house can't access Glengarry's or MyLotto or whatever takes your fancy. Um, so what we have seen and recommended is that you have a separate SSID, so two different Wi-Fi networks in your house on the same infrastructure one that the kids use, which goes out via that secure channel, and the other one that doesn't have the same restrictive settings on it, and that can be for the adults and other devices in the house. But of course, the most important thing is to talk with your children about cyber safety online for kids. That's that's the most important. Hey, that's really, that's sage advice. And look, in the podcast notes, we will also um, include the website for uh, Switch On Safety. So going back to companies, so look, globally, going back to companies, globally, Many companies are, well, they're shrinking. They're downsizing their workforce to cope with the effects of COVID-19. And some people, you know, have lost their means of livelihood. Do you think that there will be an influx in in cyber criminals? And also, do you think that organizations that are laying staff off should enforce proper exit strategies? That's a great question, Nick, and very timely. So desperate times cause people to behave in desperate ways, and businesses need to protect against malicious behavior and remove any temptations and shut every door possible uh, for malicious actors to get in. So in terms of exit strategies, um, certainly when someone leaves, a company needs to remove the access to various 
um, systems and applications that they have. So if a company is running something called single sign-on, SSO, that is a method that ensures that um, a user can access all its systems with a single user ID. And the good thing about that is that's very good for onboarding because you can very quickly onboard someone and add them to a number of systems and applications and you can control hierarchically what they have access to but it's excellent for, for exiting somebody from the business because in a single command, you can remove all rights to office systems and applications for a departing employee, right? So that's that you know that they no longer can get access to those systems. But that doesn't mean that they haven't taken some company data or intellectual property and you need to solve that with, uh, with more with a commercial relationship. And there's also some applications and methods to protect against people um, sending company information outside of the company network and things like that. The COVID pandemic has caused a huge strain on the global economy with some experts predicting recession, some on the extreme using the D word depression. Organisations post-COVID-19 pandemic strategy might include downsizing by cutting off business lines considered possibly non-critical, which sadly may include cybersecurity operations and expenditure. What's your advice on that? Well, that's a classic. You know, as we move to be more digital and work more remotely in response to COVID-19, cybersecurity becomes even more important. You know, personal data, financial data, intellectual property, all of that needs to be protected. Systems that can be accessed remotely need to be protected. So, and also in the rush to build all of these online apps for food delivery, for various other things, as companies have rapidly gone digital, they might have taken minimum cybersecurity precautions. Have they adopted best practice? Is your credit card secure? Is your personal information secure inside these apps? So I'd be actually increasing focus and spend in that area, not reducing it. Um, And I think the risk increases and that risk needs to be mitigated. And there will always be some sort of residual risk, but a company's um, business continuity planning and disaster recovery planning, cybersecurity planning needs to take account of that. So increased focus um, on cybersecurity at this time. Again, now is a good time to start and leveraging cloud platforms can help you do that in a cost-effective way. Yeah, absolutely. So Are government agencies stepping up their video surveillance capabilities as part of the COVID-19 response? And so first part of the question is governments. And the second one, what are corporates doing? Well, I might start with corporates. So so from a corporate perspective, we're seeing a significant uplift in the deployment of video surveillance. And that's been a trend over the last three years. And we've helped enable that and accelerate that into New Zealand. And we've got almost exponential growth in the number of cameras that we manage and have deployed over the last three years. And that's because of the demand for video surveillance, but also the improvement in cloud video surveillance platforms, artificial intelligence, analytics, all of that's been fast paced. And if you've got a cloud video surveillance platform that's continually updated in the, the brains of it, um, people get the benefit of that real time. Corporates are using video surveillance in three key areas to secure their assets, the obvious one, um, increase efficiency or increase training, uh, and for health and safety, and now physical distancing. So securing their assets is, is um, has long been a good use of video surveillance, but recently we're seeing it being deployed onto process and production lines for examining process efficiency, examining how people work, and then using those videos for training to improve uh, and, and improve efficiency. We're also seeing people behave in different ways when they know that there's video surveillance in the yard might be unpacking boxes faster, things like that, more efficient. From a health and safety perspective, depending on the business, the health and safety office is able to look and make sure that um, everything is safe or they're able to respond to an incident quickly. But also now we have customers who use the video surveillance to ensure that they've got um, physical distancing on the, in the workplace on site. That's quite interesting. From a government, government perspective, video surveillance is 
obviously an excellent tool for police and first responders. You think of the many times that you've heard of police using CCTV to solve a crime or stop a perpetrator in real time, or even for real-time situation intelligence, situational intelligence. So police have got their own cameras, and then they partner to get more eyes leveraging existing video surveillance infrastructure deployed um, around the country, whether it's owned by councils. So for example, Auckland Transport, uh, whether it's private enterprise, might be a fast food chain or a pharmacy chain, or might be a business association, or it might be a community or an ethnic community. And police uh, are able to partner with these entities to gain access to those cameras in the event of an emergency or in the event of something going on. So for example, if there's an incident on a major street in Auckland, um, police in their control room are, are able to bring up their cameras, they're able to bring up the local authorities' cameras, and they're able to bring up the cameras of those enterprises that have allowed them to access them uh, and, and have a real-time dashboard of what's going on so that they can deploy uh, they can classify the incident properly and then deploy appropriate resources in response to that incident. And we've connected a number of sites up to that. Um, so that's one key area that the government's using it. And the second is actually license plate recognition. And that's really good for two things. One is the identification of vehicles, obviously. And the second is counting of cars or movement or traffic across the city. And one of our customers, Lumo Digital, has uh, a number of digital billboards around New Zealand and they have uh, license plate recognition and car counting cameras on those sites. And they've been sharing that information with um, advertising agencies for, for traffic, looking at billboards, but also now for the police and the COVID-19 response team for them to be able to gauge the reduction or not in of traffic moving through the city during the different lockdown stages. And it's empirical evidence. So it's really interesting. Also, um, if you've got license plate recognition technology, you're able to share that with a real-time police database to enable the police to, to pick up on stolen vehicles and the location of those stolen vehicles and then deploy resources to to respond and they know where to go to get that vehicle. So that's pretty neat. Um, we're seeing the emergence of facial recognition cameras and cloud analytics and API-driven cloud platforms that allow different services to plug into those video images in the cloud and derive various bits of information from those. And that's either pretty frightening or pretty exciting or nerdy, depending on where you sit, right? And a lot of the leadership in that space is coming out of Israel uh, and the USA. And we're seeing you know, we're seeing different hardware and different applications in the video surveillance place. In fact, just yesterday, I was shown a an application for contact tracing, contactless contact tracing and temperature scanning and logging of people entering a building. So this is a this is a tablet that sits at a business entrance. It scans your temperature. It takes your photo. It identifies you. It'll tell you whether or not you have to put a mask on. It knows whether or not you've got a mask on. It'll tell you to take it off to get ID'd and then put it back on. Records your arrival, your departure time, and thus it can put you in a cohort for later contact tracing that's required. You know, you have to ask what's the security around the information that this thing gathers. Who's looking after that? What's happening from a privacy perspective, personal data perspective? Yeah, well, that's pretty serious information that's been gathered. And when you know, when you think about the New Zealand and Australian experience in terms of our breaches of data, et cetera, Unfortunately, government agencies have been some of the laggards over the last 12 months and some of the most famous stories in the, in the media. Yeah, totally. So that, you know, you've got a trade-off of some sort between security, privacy, public safety, economic recovery, et cetera. And we'll have to find a happy medium mm. allowing the government to, to take action and business to take action in that space. Well, there will no doubt be some, some of the civil libertarians will be really looking forward to having those discussions in a public forum. So, Martin, we're coming to level two. Uh, in just over 36 hours' time uh, at the time of recording. So tell me, what are you and your family, what are you really looking forward to doing that you haven't been able to do in Level 3 and Level 4? 
What are your plans? I think the most the most exciting thing about level two is going and catching up with our friends and our family face to face. You know, reuniting with family, reuniting with friends. I can tell you, our kids are very excited to get back to school just to see their friends face to face. You know, video video zooms are nice, but it's no substitute to the real thing. That's for sure. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. The uh, it's interesting, just that lack of social interaction. And, you know, as you say, Zoom's really cool, but it's certainly not the same. And um, someone was sharing a really cool analogy with me about um, um, selling apples. And they said, because of all the quarantine and isolation requirements for traveling mm-hmm. offshore, both in New Zealand as a jurisdiction and the offshore jurisdiction, it's pretty hard to travel to sell to sell goods. But uh, but the guy was just saying to me, he quit, his quip was, it's very hard to sell the crunch of an apple on Zoom. I have to say, I have to agree with that. <laughs> you know, it's been interesting. People, we were very quickly locked down, right, with, with, with a small amount of warning. Mm. And that had an impact and behaviours changed and developed during the lockdown. But I think people will equally very quickly adapt back to level two and then hopefully level one, level zero. Yes. Uh, and back to life as normal. We just have to be wary that um, we could snap back to um, level two or level three without much notice. Correct, yeah. Hey, well, Martin, really appreciate you joining us today and sharing your thoughts, both on a, in a personal and business capacity across a number of topics. And we look forward to hosting you again um, in the future. My pleasure. And Nick, as always, excellent to catch up with you. Next time with a glass of wine, please. <laughs> Absolutely. The information provided or any opinions expressed in this podcast are of a general nature and should not be construed or relied on as a recommendation to invest in a financial product or class of financial products. You should seek financial advice specific to your circumstances from an authorized financial advisor before making any decisions. A disclosure statement can be attained free of charge by calling 0800 878 961 or visiting our website www.stuartgroup.co.nz